Good morning. Ah, oh, it's nice to be back. Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you hoping for this year? Now, we've already thought maybe a bit about that in our worship time this morning. What do we want to lay before God um, that we're looking forward to this year? But we're going to delve into that a bit deeper this morning. Um, I start a new job tomorrow. I start a new job in a nursery tomorrow. So I'm desperately hoping for a smooth week. I'm hoping that I get along with my new colleagues. I'm hoping that I don't catch too many coughs and colds from all the kids. Good luck. But I'm also making plans to maybe leave Edinburgh in September to move abroad. So that requires some bigger hopes. That requires hoping that I fit in in a new culture, hoping that I make friends, that I'm not too lonely in a new place. Maybe you're hoping for a year of excitement and adventure, or maybe you're hoping for a nice, quiet, calm year ahead. Maybe you're even just hoping that you make it through 2018 in one piece. What we hope for is so important. It gives us direction and expectation, and it gives us an image of what the future holds to work towards. This morning, I want to share what I feel God is saying to us about our hopes for this year. Um, And we're going to think big picture today, but these are big fundamental hopes that God puts in the Bible to have an impact on our daily lives. And I just want to caveat at the beginning, this isn't just for positive, sunny, optimistic people. Everybody needs hope, no matter what your personality type is, no matter what your background is, you need hope. So we're going to think about it this morning. We're going to look at the nature of the hope that Jesus gives us, how we can hope for things and the effects of hope on our lives, drawing on two passages today from Romans 8 and a little bit of Hebrews 6. So if you've got Bibles with you on your phone or on paper, um, please do turn to Romans 8 verses 18 to 25 with me, um, or you can have a look on the screen behind me where they will appear. So this is Paul, an apostle of God, writing to Christians in Rome from lots of different backgrounds. And these were people that he hadn't met, he hadn't visited in person, although he wanted to. But in Romans, he wants to unfold the gospel to them in all its richness and fullness. And in this section, he's drawing their attention particularly to the importance of hope. So let's read together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved... Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray before we begin today. Father God, I pray by your spirit that you would unfold your words to us now. Um, that you would speak life to us now at the start of the year. Would you give us ears to hear what you're saying today, God, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, these verses bring us to our first question. What do we hope for? Here in Romans 8, Paul is talking about something that the whole world is waiting for and hoping for, the fulfilment of our adoption as sons of God, which might seem like a slightly odd thing to hope for, for the whole world to be hoping for. So verse 21 here tells us that we are waiting to receive the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We are waiting for our ultimate purpose in life, the revealing of our purpose in life to be children of God. When Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to new life, he broke through the barriers that had been between us and God. He broke through the sin and the death that had separated us and made us strangers. And he opened the way for us to join the family of God. Romans 8, a few verses earlier, describes believers not only as children of God in the family of God, but also heirs, children who stand to receive an inheritance from their father. Paul uses the language of sons to describe all believers, men and women, because it was sons who received the lion's share of their inheritance, the inheritance in a family at this day and age. It's not something that we've earned, but it's something that is given to us purely because of our status of children of God. So what then is our inheritance? What is this thing that we are hoping for that's laid out in Romans 8? It is God himself. Our inheritance is to be with God. It is life wholly and completely lived in the presence of God. It's the life that we will experience one day fully in heaven. God might pour out material and spiritual blessings on us this year, and I, I do pray that he does. But the greatest thing he could ever give us, really, is himself. Just as Jesus blessed people when he was walking the earth with food and with wisdom and with healing... Ultimately, the greatest thing he gave was himself, his presence and his life to save us. So what we're hoping for is the coming together of God's plan throughout the ages that runs from the very start of the Bible, that one day, just as God walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that we too will be fully and completely with God. So in verse 23, Paul draws our attention to the fact that we are privileged to experience the first fruits, a kind of first taste of this life, of this inheritance, because we have the Spirit of God within us. This is what our current life lived by the Spirit gives us a taste of. But still, we hope for more. It says that we wait eagerly, we hope for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul says this is the hope into which we are saved. 
we wait for our physical being with God. Because whilst we are, we are joined with Christ as we explored in some of the preachers on Ephesians from last term, we are with Christ, we are one with him spiritually. At the moment, we still feel the discord of our separation. We still feel the, the frailties of our human bodies. We still feel the difficulties of life on this earth. But one day we won't. And this ultimately is what we're hoping for. This is the shape of the eternal life that we believe in when we believe in Jesus's promises about eternal life, a new tangible life with God. But we see from Romans 8 that this is not an easy hope in some ways. It's not a hope that is divorced from the difficulties and realities of our life today. Paul doesn't say in these verses, now that we're in Christ, everything will be simple. He says that we should expect sufferings in this, in this life, in this year. But he reasons that they are not worth comparing to the complete and utter glory of the coming age. Therefore, we could be people who have hope that something better is coming, that the suffering of today and tomorrow and this year is not the end of the story. But this suffering does bring us on to our second question. How can we have hope in in the world that we live in? And the Bible suggests that we can have hope, that we gain access to this hope for ourselves by having faith in God's character. So to explore this a bit further, we're going to look at a second passage from Hebrews 6. Um, So if you want to flick on a few books in your Bibles, uh, Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. Again, they're on the screen behind me. And it says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So as well as encouraging us to trust in God's character, these verses also give us a greater understanding of what we're hoping for. The promise given to Abraham by God in verses 13 and 14 is one that we find in chapter 15 of Genesis, where God promised to Abraham that he would have a family that numbered as many as the stars in the sky. This family became the people of Israel, the people chosen by God to be a channel of his presence and of his hope to the world. 
When Jesus came, he opened up this family to all who believe in him as their saviour. So when you become a Christian, those of us who believe in Jesus today in this room are part of this family, stretching back through the ages whose purpose is to show God's hope to the world. And in verses 19 and 20, at the end of this passage, the writer reveals another aspect of what it is that we're hoping for. Jesus has gone ahead of us, it says, a forerunner into the inner place behind the curtain, a reference to the holiest place in the old Jewish temple where the presence of God dwelt. The order of Melchizedek here refers to one of the greatest Old Testament priests and kings who was a foreshadowing of Jesus. So again, this passage is about what we ultimately hope for, being with God in his presence. No barriers, nothing holding us back, nothing separating us. At this moment, Jesus is representing us in heaven in the presence of God. But one day we won't need a representative because we'll be there ourselves in his presence. And because of what Jesus did on the cross to save us from our sins, we can be there without fear. We can be there confident that we belong because Jesus has brought us into the family. So God swore this promise to Abraham by himself. Verse 17 says that when God decided to show more convincingly to the people that he was swearing to, he guaranteed it with an oath. There was no one greater that God could have sworn by, no one greater that he could have guaranteed this promise. And we know, as it says, that God doesn't lie. But this was a promise on a global scale that required the greatest hope. Abraham was already old and childless when the promise was given to him. And it seemed completely impossible that he and his wife, Sarah, who was similarly elderly, would have a family with as many members as the stars in the sky. But as we've heard already today, nothing is impossible for God. Abraham trusted in God's character. He had faith in God, which then allowed him to have hope for the thing promised to him. So if we too trust in God's character, if we trust that he is faithful and good and loving and all-knowing and all-powerful, this gives us the courage we need to live out our hope, even in the suffering of this life. If we are assured that God is love, then fear can be replaced by hope. And a life lived out of fear looks very different from a life lived out of hope. The first is unsteady. The second is confident. Fear paralyzes, but hope mobilizes us. And fear turns us inwards on our own problems and our own worries, whilst hope causes us to reach out to others. We are given two main ways of living out this practicality of hope in, this, in these few verses. So first, we are told to patiently wait which doesn't sound like much fun. (laughs) Just as Abraham had to wait, we are told to patiently wait. Like Romans said, we are not hoping for things that are right in front of us, that are immediate. We are hoping for things that, that might take for us to die, to see. We are hoping for things that are long term. 
And Abraham had to wait years between the promise given to him and seeing the first step of it fulfilled. And he didn't even live to see, you know, the fullness of this. He only sees it now from heaven. It must have seemed like a ridiculous hope. And the times when Abraham struggled in his journey of hoping and waiting were when he tried to take matters and timings into his own hands rather than patiently waiting for what God had said. In some ways, patient waiting can seem a bit weak and a bit passive, but it actually takes great strength and great resolve to wait for God in the midst of illness or difficulty or sadness. So what do we do whilst we're patiently waiting? We are encouraged to hold fast to hope in verse 18 here. And there are lots of ways that we can do this, lots of things that can help us. Reminding yourself of the trustworthiness of God's character by genuinely, really, really seeking his face through spending time reading the Bible, praying, surrounding yourself with a church of of people who, who are pointing you towards God. There are lots of things that we can do particularly asking to be refreshed by the spirit of hope. Matthew Henry says, faith respects the promise, hope the thing promised. How then did Abraham receive this promise to be a father of a nation? He patiently waited, having faith in the character of God who promised and holding fast to the hope of the promise itself. But Trying to stay hopeful on our own, in our own strength, is a really difficult thing. It doesn't often work, slash ever work, really. Um, And I've got a a little story to tell from my own childhood. So when I was young, um, my dad was away from home a lot. Um, He's a pretty cool guy. He's a scientist. um, And very regularly, he has to go away for months at a time, to one of the most remote places on the earth, Antarctica. I know, it's kind of random. Um, The development of technology across my lifetime means that communication is these days much easier when he's away than it used to be. But in the early days, me and my mum were restricted to occasional letters on a single sheet of blue A4 airmail paper. (laughs) She'd have to write very small on to fit in all your news. Um, And occasionally we'd get a very crackly radio message through. But all the other scientists would all be listening in, so you couldn't say anything particularly meaningful or personal. So in order to stay in touch with me, because I, I know he was worried about the effect that this would have on our relationship when I was young, him being away a lot, he left cards to be opened almost every day whilst he was away with messages to me. And my favourite thing of all, he recorded cassette tapes, yes, of him speaking, of him telling me stories, of him telling me about things that he might be doing at this moment. And for a long time, in my my youthful innocence, I thought that these cassette tapes kind of magically appeared from the Antarctic and they were being recorded in real time. It's only this Christmas... (laughs) Only this Christmas that I realised, 
No, probably wasn't how it happened. He recorded them in advance. So sneaky. But <laughs> Mum and I, Mum and I made scrapbooks of all these letters and cards, and we played these cassette tapes again and again and again. And they were a lifeline during these really hard times of separation. They didn't take away the suffering of being apart as a family, but they helped to give me hope that Dad was coming back, that Dad did care, that he did remember me when he was away. And they helped us to wait. They helped us to be patient whilst he was doing his work. But still, tapes and cards and emails are not the same as actually being with someone. God, in his power and love as our Heavenly Father, goes much better than letters and cassette tapes. He gives us the Holy Spirit for this exact reason. He knows that we default to fear rather than hope when we look to the future on our own. So he gives us his very presence to comfort us, to remind us of his fatherly love for us. The Spirit reassures us of our status as children of God. And 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, God has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of our membership of his family. The spirit also gives us patience to wait, and he gives us the strength to hold fast to this hope until one day we experience fully our adoption as children of God that Roman 8 8 points us towards. So what effect does this hope have? Well, personally... This hope is an anchor for our souls. I think that's such a beautiful phrase, an anchor for our souls. It keeps us tied to a solid foundation, even when the storms of life are raging around us. We who have fled for refuge, it says, are given strong encouragement to hold fast to hope in Hebrews 6, 18. I am sure for you and for me, there'll be times this year when things are going well, when we kind of slip into an easy routine that doesn't seem to require any hope. Things are going pretty good on the whole. In times of peace this year, in times of prosperity even, it's really important that we don't lose sight of this real and eternal hope just because we're distracted by momentary triumphs or momentary comforts. We need an anchor that keeps us steady spiritually when we're being swayed by worldly success this year. And I am equally sure that there will be times this year which see us crying out to God in anger or frustration or hurt. In those times too, the idea of one day being with God fully in peace will be a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. souls, sorry, giving us the light of hope we need to guide us through the darkness of the days that we face. I don't believe that we are called to dismiss all of our immediate hopes. Instead, we are supposed to view them in light of this completed hope. I can bring my hopes about my new job, about coughs and colds. I can bring my hopes about moving abroad to God. He wants to know. He wants us to feel comfortable approaching him with our concerns, with our anxieties, with our dreams. 
but we have to recognize that they are not the be-all and end-all. 20th century missionary Jim Elliott, who died in his attempt to preach the gospel to an unreached tribe in Ecuador, phrased it like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. God will not turn back on his promises to us. The hopes of the Bible will come to pass. But it might be that you're sat here this morning burdened by the weight of disappointed hope, thinking that this is all very well in theory, but actually it seems like a small sticking plaster over over the wound of disappointment. I don't know what you've been through, and maybe nobody but God knows the depth of what you're feeling, but I will just point you to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I really believe that if we bring our disappointments to Jesus, he will give us rest and he will give us peace. John Piper, ever in his wisdom, puts it like this. Jesus does not want our souls resting on the how and when, as if we are wise enough to understand and determine them. Rather, he wants our souls resting on the surety that he will keep his promise to us in the best way at the best time. The act of hoping is a daring one. It requires courage. Um, And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the courage you need to hope again. And I pray that through hope, you will find rest for your soul. But this hope also has an effect beyond our own lives. The world is crying out for hope. You only need to open a newspaper or turn on the TV or to walk out of your front door to be confronted by the very powerful mixture of apathy and despair that we see in the world around us, of hopelessness, in short. People look for hope in politics, in their family lives, in material goods, in worldly success. But hope that depends on humans is a frail and failing thing. Instead, Jesus calls us to proclaim his hope in the face of evil and fear and hopelessness. We are hoping for the day that Jesus will come, come again, to end all oppression and all injustice. But until that day comes, we use this hope to free captive people, to declare God's healing, to fight for justice. The world looks at the future with so much fear, and it's not hard to see why. But when you know that God is both sovereign and loving and has a plan for the world, you can face the future with confidence. I watched the Lord of the Rings films again over the Christmas holidays, and as Samwise Gamgee says, when it seems all hope is lost in their quest to defeat evil, But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Clinging on to the hope of a new day, even when surrounded by darkness, is a powerful statement of our belief in God's character and his unchanging goodness.
If we as Christians are not people of hope, how can we expect anyone to look at our lives, to look at the church and be convinced of the goodness and power of God? We are called to be a hopeful people, that the world might look at the hope-filled church, that Edinburgh might look at this hope-filled church and get a glimpse of God's glory and his plan for the world. So I want to encourage you throughout whatever 2018 holds for you, whether it's triumph or despair or a whole lot of not really much exciting news to report at all, to hold fast to the hope set out before you. Like Abraham, we too can trust in God's character. The Bible says that God knows the content of all our days. He knows what is to come for you in this year ahead. And this morning, he is inviting you to trust him, to hold fast, to hope. So we hope for the fulfillment of God's plan for us to one day be with him perfectly and fully. We hope by having faith in God's character, by patiently waiting and by holding fast to the promises that he gives us. And this hope makes us sure and steady even in the face of suffering, and it reflects God's glory to the world around us. I'm very keen that we don't end our service today before we pray. Um, I think at the start of the year, it's a really good time, as Dara mentioned earlier, to bring things before God, to ask him to give you hope for this year. And this is for you whether you're wanting to take hold of the hope that Jesus offers you for the very first time or whether you've been hoping in him for years but you need to recommit your hopes to him for the year. So as Dara and the band come up and we sing our final song, I want to encourage you to be very honest with God um, about how hopeful you're feeling in this moment um, whether, whether you're facing this year with excitement or a bit of trepidation, I, I want to encourage you to ask God to fill you afresh with the hope that one day we will fully experience the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Um, so if we want to stand, if you're able to stand... I'm going to uh, pray this verse from Romans and then we'll have a moment of just quiet um, where you can bring things before God and then we'll sing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Father God, would we abound in hope in our own lives, in each day, God, even in the mundane, would we abound in hope? Would we abound in hope as your church? Would we be a a hope-filled light for this city, God, for the world? Father, now we just bring things before you that we are hoping for this year. We say, take them, God. Do what you will with them, but give us hope.